Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episode 61 of Hou Gong Jin Huan Chuan, Empresses in the Palace. Rather unbelievable that we're already at episode 61 of discussing this wonderful drama, don't you think? We are most certainly in the home stretch, and it's time for our players to show us what they have left. This episode, I would say, is another episode that focuses on the setup. There's a lot going on, with many characters having short dialogue that is useful for the rest of the series. We'll discuss these interesting pieces and, of course, the historical components mentioned in this episode. All right, let's get started. This episode kicks off right where we left off in the last episode with the evil empress leaving the main character Jin Huan's palace after having wished Jin Huan well for giving birth to twins. On her way out, she sees a maid whose face is bright red from slap marks. If you recall, this is the maid, Fei Wen, that was punished to slapping herself on the face for opening windows after Jin Huan's birth and causing Jin Huan to cough. The emperor was very angry at this and punished this maid. The empress gives a slight nod to her head maid, Jian Qiu. Jian Qiu gets the hint and stays behind to talk to this Fei Wen. What can happen here? It's fascinating to see how the empress just knows when there might be a crack to take advantage of from Jin Huan's camp. After a few days, Jin Huan now has an updated hairstyle, one that is very composed, but in my opinion, not as beautiful as her last style. She is watching her two children with the emperor. The prince has a name already, but the princess does not. Jin Huan is thinking of a name to give her daughter. She comes up with the name Ling Si. Now, there's no good direct translation for this term, but essentially it means that your hearts are connected to your thoughts. The emperor praises this name, saying that he and Jin Huan indeed have both their thoughts and hearts connected these past few years. Little does he know, she named her daughter this specifically because of her love for her daughter's real father, the 17th prince. The term Lingxi really works well between Jin Huan and the 17th prince, not the emperor, but he is none the wiser. It's funny because Huan Bi has a knowing look because she understands this is about Jin Huan's connection with the 17th prince as well. And uh, if you look at the comments on YouTube, it's hilarious. When the emperor's like, yes, our hearts and our minds are together. Everyone's like, mm, Jin Huan, no, it's not with you. Not with you. I don't like you. <laughs> After the naming, the emperor touches on a bit of a touchy subject, at least for Jin Huan. And it is about Huan Bi, Jin Huan's maid slash half-sister, after she leaves the room. The emperor says that Huan Bi now looks and acts a lot more like Jin Huan. The emperor had said this way back at the beginning of the drama and actually caused Huan Bi to try to think she could seduce the emperor, but was corrected by Jin Huan. After all, it is a hard life being a concubine. Now, the emperor is once again bringing this up. There are probably warning signs going off again for Jin Huan. She wants to protect her sister from the clutches of the imperial harem. 
Well, now that the twins are born, Jin Huan has another pressing matter to tend to. That is, the care of her other daughter, Long Yue. She summons Ting Fei, Long Yue's adoptive mother, to chat. Ting Fei has always been kind to both Jin Huan and her best friend Chen Mei Zhuang ever since the ladies entered the palace. Otherwise, why would Jin Huan give her daughter to Ting Fei to raise? But she seems very apprehensive uh, towards the summons to Jin Huan's palace. Once there, though, the two women, Jin Huan and Ting Fei, have a rather frank discussion. Jin Huan, being as smart as she is, has deduced that Jing Fei was the one to raise the relationship between Jing Xi, her own headmaid, and Su Pei Sheng, the emperor's head eunuch, to the empress, thereby causing both of them to be sentenced to hard labor in Shenxing Si and potentially get killed. Jin Huan says Jing Fei and Shen Meizhuang were the only two witnesses to have seen Su Pei Sheng drop a pouch that was embroidered by Jing Xi and was seen frequently visiting the empress's palace during that time. Essentially, this drama between these players was caused by Ting Fei disclosing this negative information to the Empress. Ting Fei does not deny this, and fortunately, Jin Huan thought through Ting Fei's motives rather rationally. Jin Huan understands that Ting Fei did this in order to keep Long Yue with her as her daughter. Jing Fei explains that she is incredibly lonely in the palace, with limited affection or attention from the emperor. She knew early on that she was just a chess piece used to counteract the powerful and now deceased Hua Fei. If she didn't have Long Yue as a daughter to help pass the time, the rest of her life in the palace would be perhaps lived with no joy at all. Jing Fei explains that she didn't really want to hurt Jin Huan, but she just wanted to keep Long Yue with her for a few more years. Unfortunately, she knows that the Empress wants the two of them, her and Jin Huan, to attack each other, and now she's at the mercy of Jin Huan's punishment. Surprisingly, Jin Huan requests for Jing Fei to raise Princess Long Yue as her own until she is to be married. This stuns Jing Fei, but Jin Huan explains that she already has two other children that require care. Plus, Long Yue sees Jing Fei as her birth mother. Forcing the two of them to be separated would harm everyone's relationship. Upon hearing this, Jing Fei is extraordinarily grateful. She did not expect such mercy from Jin Huan, but that is the difference between Jin Huan and the Empress. Jin Huan has empathy, whereas the Empress does not. Now, the alliance between Jing Fei and Jin Huan is forever solidified. That is probably just as valuable to Jin Huan as raising her own daughter at home. Though I do think Jin Huan would only do this because she is fortunate enough to have other children. If she came back childless, I don't know if she would have been in such a sharing mood. For now, though, at least it seems like the Empress's schemes for Jin Huan and Jing Fei to attack each other has backfired. These two are now, as, as we say, tied together. There's also this saying um, as, if you stay with the empress, you remain childless. But with Jin Huan, you all get daughters. Well, next on the docket of things that uh, Jin Huan has to do is for uh, Jin Huan to participate in her official promotion from consort to noble consort. 
This is her reward, so to speak, for giving birth to the sixth prince. Her title is now Xi Guifei. There's currently only one noble consort or Guifei in the palace. During the Qing dynasties, there were actually only two noble consorts allowed. The next step is Huang Guifei or Imperial Noble Consort and then above that is Empress. Jin Huan is at this point the second highest ranking consort in the Imperial Harem. Look at Jin Huan's makeup and cloak, also her hair. That, that coiffure is so beautiful. We rarely see her wear black but the cloak is absolutely exquisite. Now at her palace, Jin Huan is kneeling while receiving her edict. There are formal steps to receiving noble consort rank, including her official seal, and she has to go through all of these various steps. The emperor surprises her by greeting her at her palace to head over to the empress's palace together. The emperor says some lovey-dovey things, which to anyone else would have been probably a tearjerker, but I think Jin Huan just is like, this is all of your doing, I don't care anymore. But she plays her role as the loving concubine perfectly. At the Empress's palace, Chen Huan receives her official blessing from the Empress. At this point, the Emperor inquires to the Empress her thoughts about giving Chen Huan the reins to manage the Imperial Harem, or Xie Li Liu Gong. Of course, the Empress is not going to give up her authority without a fight. And it's rather funny how she tries to prevent Jin Huan from receiving this coveted power. She quickly points out that Jin Huan will be busy with taking care of not only the twins, but also Princess Longyue. The emperor quickly waves this worry away. The twins will be taken care of by wet nurses, and the princess will continue to be taken care of by Jing Fei. This surprises the empress because, as we know, she was hoping for Jing Fei and Jin Huan to be on opposite sides. The Empress makes one final attempt to block this motion by mentioning Jin Huan's lack of experience. Jin Huan quickly chimes in to say that she'll seek guidance from Duan Fei and Jing Fei, both of whom are more experienced than she is and would be helpful mentors. The Empress sees no other recourse and gives in. Man, her acting is amazing. The Empress is probably seething on the inside, but she still has on this serene face, nodding and smiling at everything before her. Later that evening, there is a grand banquet for Jin Huan's promotion and the twins' first month celebration. The Empress quotes a poem, which we'll dive into later for our analysis. And the Emperor, on the other hand, is in a jolly good mood and openly states, that he'll spend the night with Jin Huan. The Empress kind of shoots this like side eye. Um, Jin Huan, however, directs him to stay with Jing Fei on the premise of visiting their daughter Long Yue. Look at that. Jin Huan knows that giving up her daughter to Jing Fei wasn't enough. To keep this alliance, she must also continue to push the Emperor towards the other ladies of the harem, which once again shows the benefits of being on Jin Huan's side versus the Empress's side. After the festivities, Jin Huan is back at her own palace. Jing Xi and Xiao Yunzi, her head eunuch, are documenting all of the presents they received for the occasion. The list is quite extravagant, including a special pair of poison-detecting chopsticks from the Meng family. 
The daughter of the Meng family, Meng Jingxian, was meant to wed the 17th prince, but was rejected by him. She's still in love with the fellow and has refused to marry anyone else, so she's now kind of a, you can consider a spinster, but not really. Huan Bi is all up in arms against this woman. Like, who does she think she is? Ouch. But of course, we all know that Huan Bi is also in love with the 17th prince. I will say for her, though, she knows that her love is one-sided. She doesn't try to interfere or be overly jealous of her sister, Zhen Huan's love, with the 17th prince. So I will give her props for that. Speaking of the 17th prince, he actually also sent a gift. An exquisite coral bracelet. Zhen Huan, to Huan Bi's surprise, actually decides to wear it. Huan Bi is right to worry. This could be a dangerous signal if Jin Huan openly wears it uh, or a, wears a present from the 17th prince. Jin Huan doesn't think it's a problem, especially tonight, since the emperor is staying with Fei and decides to visit the pregnant Xin Meizhuang instead. En route to Xin Meizhuang's palace, Jin Huan encounters a surprising visitor. Jin Huan at this point is sitting in her carriage, and Ning Guiren, or her actual name Ye Lan Yi, stops the carriage. Ye Lan Yi is the former horse tamer maid who fancies the 17th prince. The two ladies discuss some pleasantries about Ye Lan Yi's cat, and Ye Lan Yi invites Jin Huan over for a closer look. Jin Huan dismisses everyone except for Huan Bi and follows Ye Lan Yi into the garden. No sooner than they reach the gardens does Ye Lan Yi turn around, pin Jin Huan to the wall, and uh, threaten her with a dagger. Here, we get confirmation that it was indeed she that lured all the cats the other day and caused Jin Huan to give birth. Jin Huan already knew this, of course. She openly tells Ye Lan Yi that it is not worth it to kill her over the 17th prince. It is now Ye Lan Yi who is shocked. She says, you knew? Of course Jin Huan knew. She does her homework. She knows all about how the 17th prince rescued Ye Lan Yi years ago. The funny thing is, Huan Bi doesn't make a peep until the topic of the 17th prince is brought up, and then she immediately begins criticizing Ye Lan Yi. Ye Lan Yi coldly points this out. Girl, you are way too obvious. Or actually, everyone is way too obvious. Everyone likes the 17th prince. This is like, what, four ladies in one episode? Ye Lan Yi is furious with Jin Huan. She knows of more or less what happened between Jin Huan and the 17th prince during her exile because she was also the one eavesdropping on her conversation during the uh, mid-autumn festival in the last episode. Ye Lan Yi doesn't understand why Jin Huan returned to the palace. She wants to kill Jin Huan as she will harm anyone and kill anyone who hurts the 17th prince. And over the years, no one has done more harm to him than Jin Huan. Wow, if you look, Ye Nanyin's face is so close to Jin Huan's face. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to root for them for a couple, as a couple for two seconds, okay? But in any case, Jin Huan gives some hints as to her predicament. But of course, no one was going to understand that hint. You know, how she says, sometimes uh, betraying may be harder than not betraying. Fortunately, or unfortunately, Ye Lan Yi spots the coral bracelet on Jin Huan's uh, hand and immediately recognizes it as a gift from the 17th prince. 
She demands how Jinhuan got it. Huan Bi rightfully responds, you should ask the bracelet's owner. At this, Yan Yi pulls the dagger away. The coral bracelet on Jinhuan's wrist is a testament of the 17th prince's love for this woman. It's something that is very prized to him and does not get shown to people. So the fact that she, Jinhuan, is wearing it means that she must mean a lot to the 17th prince. Yan Yi doesn't want to harm anyone precious to the 17th prince, and she haughtily walks away after giving Jinhuan a dire warning to watch herself. Well, now we absolutely know of Yan Yi's affections and love towards the 17th prince. Man, I guess being a gentleman in those days was hard to come by. Literally everyone is falling head over heels over this one guy, whereas not many people are interested in the fourth or the, uh, the current emperor. Should we count Jinhuan as lucky or not to be the one who won the 17th prince's affection? The first time I watched this, I was screaming at the screen, Jinhuan, you guys are on the same team. You should tell Yilan Yi the truth. It'll save everyone a bunch of time in the future. Eh, we'll see what happens. The rest of the episode revolves around the Empress's posse of terrible concubines as they try to fight back against the now much more powerful Jinhuan. With Jinhuan's new title as Xi Guifei and her three children, she is going to be incredibly difficult to overthrow. The Empress is in her palace with Ai Lingrong and Qi Guiren. Notice the seating arrangement now. Ai Lingrong has a higher rank than Qi Guiren, so she sits higher up, whereas previously she would be seated lower than Qi Guiren when they were both imperial concubines, or Pin. And this is a reflection because Qi Guiren got demoted. Anyways, the Empress says that they need to attack Jin Huan. The same old, same old. But guess what? Qi Guiren not being able to stand that An Lingrong who is of lower birth and education, would dare to have the same rank, decides to attack An Lingrong instead. So that's uh, some infighting right here. A drink was given to An Lingrong that causes her to lose her voice. She wakes up the next morning and cannot speak well anymore. Her voice is completely gone. This is essentially a death sentence for her because her claim to fame in the palace is entirely based on her ability to sing. Now that she cannot, the emperor will lose interest in seeing her and her status in the imperial harem. She, of course, knows this reality. Originally, she was forbidden from leaving her palace because she was seen as a bad omen to the pregnant women in the palace, but now, after her voice is gone, she doesn't care as much and is going so far as to stop Jin Huan while she is in her litter for a chat. And dear lord, the chat between these two women is exhausting. Jin Huan clearly hates An Lingrong because she has done terrible things to Jin Huan, but for appearance's sake, they have to pretend they are dear sisters. Their veiled messages are great to listen to. One line in particular I loved is how Jin Huan says that for the help and care An Lingrong has given her, she will give back in greater magnitude. This is a play on the idiom that giving a drop of help behooves an entire stream in repayment. In this case, though, Jin Huan is actually threatening An Lingrong by saying that with all the help, aka hurt, An Lingrong has given Jin Huan, she will give back in kind, if not worse. 
And indeed, after the conversation ends, Jin Huan orders Huan Bi, her sister slash maid, to tell all the other concubines and servants to uh, take care of An Lingrong. By now we know that taking care means tormenting or humiliating An Lingrong. Jin Huan decides to go this route instead of straight up killing An Lingrong because this is a fate worse than death. And you really can see the difference between Jin Huan and her former self. Right now she is ruthless and is like, I'm not just, I'm not going to be kind to An Lingrong anymore. I'm just going to let her suffer. Sure enough, two concubines come in to wreak havoc at An Lingrong's palace, treating her like dirt and making a mess of her bedroom. In the dead of winter, An Lingrong is also running out of coal. Sounds familiar? Jin Huan herself experienced this pain previously when she first entered the palace. These two concubines show up again with terrible cold that smokes up the entire room as another form of humiliation. Luckily for An Lingrong, the Empress's head maid, Tian Qiu, comes to the rescue and provides her with cold to survive through the winter. The aim here is to push An Lingrong to find another means of survival in the palace. How does she do so? We'll find out in the next episode. The last interesting piece to note in this entire episode is that Jin Huan's younger sister, Yu Zhao, has now come to visit her in the palace. She is a beautiful young lady at this point. Before, Yu Zhao was sentenced to exile with her parents in Ningbu Tap, but fortunately, by grace of the emperor, they have been able to return home. Yu Rao came back to see her sister sooner or arrived earlier than her parents. As the sisters meet, Su Sheng, the emperor's head eunuch, also says that the 17th prince has gifted all of his He Huanhua, all of his favorite He Huanhua in the imperial garden to Jin Huan as another gift for uh, her being promoted. Okay, and that was the recap. Let's get uh, to our analysis today. There's quite a lot to discuss. Let's get started. First up is the princess's title, Ling Xi. Jin Huan quotes these two lines. Shen Wu Cai Feng Shuang Fei Yi, Xin You Ling Xi Yi Dian Tong, and picks Ling Xi as the title for her daughter. So the poem was originally written by the Tang Dynasty poet Li Shangyin. The title of the poem is actually unnamed, and Li Shangyin is quite a famous poet. We won't dive too much in for today. These two lines translate to the following Even though we don't have wings to fly to each other, our hearts and minds are as one, just like the magical horns of the rhinoceros. So this is really cool. In Chinese legend, the rhinoceros has a mythical horn called Ling Xi. This horn has a white pattern on it and the power to be in tuned with the heart and the mind. Hence why it is used as a reference for this poem. So Ling Xi is the magical uh, horn but it also is kind of just like means that you're connected with each other. So the last line, xin you ling xi yi dian tong, is often used between lovers to demonstrate their connection with each other. Although now it's been used for other purposes, not just um, for purposes of love. The next poem to discuss today is a poem the Empress recites during Jin Huan's banquet. Lang Qing Si Jiu Re, Qie Yi Ru Si Rou, Jiu Re You Shi Leng, Si Rou Wu Duan Jue. Surprisingly, this poem is an original from the show. How neat! 
I think this is the first time we, we've seen that. And let me translate this. The man's love is intense like wine. The woman's affections are long like silk. The wine might get cold, but the silk will never break. This is an interesting poem for the empress to state. I think she's trying to, to say this, like the emperor loves you now like the wine um, or the hot wine. He is very much enamored by you, but that will fade. The wine will get cold. The woman can only continue to love the emperor. I think this is somewhat uh, a pretty misogynistic poem, if I might say so myself, but it is also, I think, directed to Jin Huan as a wake-up call. It's not a threat to Jin Huan, um, but I think it's the Empress's attempt to sort of like, like I said, wake her up. Perhaps the Empress is trying to remind Jin Huan of the Empress' fickle and quite frankly cold nature. If we look back at the scene, Jin Huan fully understands the Empress's meaning because before uh, Jin Huan takes her drink, she is smirking. She knows full well of the Emperor's fickleness and the meaning behind this this poem, but like we know, Jin Huan is not at the palace for love. She's back at the palace for revenge. So who cares about feelings? She's gonna do whatever she has to to uh, defeat everyone who has wronged her in the past. The final poem comes from when Jin Huan sees the coral bracelet as a gift from the 17th prince. The full poem goes like this. Jinju shihu mai pi pa. Jinggu tang shen hu jiang sha. Zhang shang shanhu lian bu de. Que jiao yi zuo shang yang hua. Jin Huan only says the last two lines, but this really gets to the point. The poem was written by the late Ming early Qing dynasty poet Wu Wei Ye. Born in 1609 and died in 1671, he was named as one of the three masters of Jiangzuo, a region in China. He was quite famous for his seven-syllable long-form poems. As part of a collection of poems called Gu Ye, this poem actually refers to the love story between Emperor Shunzhi and his beloved Dong Efei. We've talked about these two um, extensively in the past. The meaning of the last two lines roughly translate to this. The most beautiful coral flowers and trees, even if they are protected by your hands, will never truly be yours. They will just be placed in a more prominent palace as a flower that faces the sun. This, I think, is quite apt for Jin Huan's situation. She is that coral flower that will never truly belong to the 17th prince. She is now that flower who's trying to survive in the palace, trying to find that sun to survive. Okay, well, that was it for today's episode. Quite a lot to get through, lots of characters to discuss, and again, like we said, a lot of setup for the next couple of very exciting episodes. As always, if you have any comments or questions, please email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com and follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter. We will see you in the next episode.